everybody and welcome back to Burden of Proof. If this is your first time here, my name is Caitlin. And mine's Jess. And if you are a regular here, welcome back to the circus. <laughs> I promise you that we are mostly not scatterbrained. No. But That's a lie. No. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. In the words of Mae Marian, I hate myself. But, but that's okay. But that's okay. There, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's a great quality. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> the killer that we will be discussing today in this episode is unique in a sense because not only are we covering a serial killer, but we are talking about a person who was just a child when he began his violent rampage. Known as the Slasher of Warwick and one of the youngest recorded serial killers in the history of the United States, this is a person who has been labeled an unfit candidate for parole. This is the story of killer child, Craig Price. Our case began in the Buttonwood section of West Warwick, Rhode Island. For a little bit of context, this section of town is known originally for starting out as a Christian campground community. It runs along Greenwich Bay and is considered to be upper middle class depending on which part you live in. Buttonwoods, however, has evolved over time and the crime in this area is rather high, one in 437 to be exact. So if you live here, your chance of being the victim of violence here is one in 437. There is actually a neighborhood watch initiative that you can find on the Warwick Police Department's page. So in the 80s, before, you know, everything kind of became modern over time, um, it was a rather quiet town. Rebecca Spencer was one of the people who lived in this neighborhood. She was a 27-year-old single mother of two and living on Nina's Avenue. The area she lived in at the time is considered to be a working-class neighborhood. She was prepared to move to another neighborhood because it had become unsafe for her and her children. And she was being stalked by a young male who she had seen run off her property multiple times. So on one occasion, her neighbors actually called into the Warwick Police Department when they saw him hiding in the bushes. They described the peeping Tom as an African-American male, possibly a teenager, and his head popped up by a window in front of the house. Despite this call, there was no follow-up into the sighting. Not really sure why, but... Yeah, it's definitely not the best care on the Warwick Police Department's part. Yeah, but two weeks later, she was murdered. Well, on the night of July 27, 1987, Rebecca's children were staying with family and she returned home for the night. She turned on the TV in the living room and lay on the couch, eventually drifting to sleep. A short time later, the same person who was spotted creeping in her bushes was now standing over her body with a knife. The killer took a deep breath and began to stab her to death. He then left the house, Rebecca's lifeless body left behind. Rebecca was found the next day with a total of 58 stab wounds to her body. Despite efforts by the police, Rebecca's case went cold. And, I mean, 58 is, like... That's beyond overkill. That's, like, that's, like, a personal thing. I don't get it. I, even if that person is a stranger to them, I mean, that's highly personal. When you're talking about 58 stab wounds, I mean, I can imagine she's, like, unrecognizable at that point. Oh, absolutely. Way beyond overkill. Way beyond... Meanwhile, the Heaton family, living four houses down on 95 Metropolitan Drive, was trying to live their life as usual, although the murder of their neighbor a street over, Rebecca Spencer, still hung over their heads. Joan Heaton was a widow and had two daughters, Jennifer, who was 10, and Melissa, who was 8. 
Joan was heavily involved in their community and was close with the White family. Rich White and his then fiance were planning their wedding at the time. They wanted to get married at a church so they consoled Joan, who was a devout Catholic. Joan became their sponsor as his wife went through the process of making her confirmation. In the midst of the wedding planning, they were going to be hit with a bomb that no one could prepare for. The killer that took the life of Rebecca Spencer returned to the streets and would hit even closer to home. On Friday, September 1st, 1989, Joan, her mother, Marie Bouchard, and Jennifer and Melissa went out for a family lunch at an East Greenwich restaurant. That was the last day Bouchard saw her daughter and granddaughters alive. After dinner, she brought her mom home. On the way there, she mentioned that she was taking her girls back to school shopping. After dropping her mother off, she stopped at the Christmas tree shop on Bald Hill Road. On her receipt, which showed a timestamp at 7.24 p.m., she paid for a set of steak knives. And the irony in this. Oh my is god. Real. On the site. I can only imagine. Ugh, so, sometimes it's just disturbing to think about yeah. these things. Yeah. But, I mean, does that stop us? Not really. No. Of course not. No. Absolutely not. At some point that evening, the family returned home. They changed into night clothes and got ready for bed. According to an article by Mark Arsenal called The Dark Deed, Melissa, the youngest daughter, was settled into bed when suddenly she heard a rustling sound. She crept down the hallway, and when she turned the light on, she came face to face with Rebecca's killer. He was high on LSD and marijuana, and had cut a slit into the screen for the window to get inside. She tried to let out a scream, but he covered her mouth, telling her not to move. He carried her down the hall, his hands still over her face. He tripped and they both fell, causing him to drop the knife in his hand. At that point, she let out a high-pitched scream. As soon as Joan came racing out the door to see what was going on, the murders began. Jennifer was left stabbed 62 times. Her mother and younger sister met the same fate. When the police showed up to the scene after receiving a request for a welfare check, they found the three girls lying in a pool of blood and Melissa with an additional blunt force trauma to her head. And I will not say the method of how Melissa died because it's just disgusting. I, I, I kind of want to know, but at the same time, I, I kind of don't. I'll tell you off microphone. You know, I've, I read different accounts of what happened that this night, but according to killer he had gotten his hands on the little girl first before her mother came out it, it's it's hard to figure out what actually happened but that's according to him that's what happened so that's honestly terrifying to think about mm -hmm. the people that to think that you can get killed in your own home is scary and it just brings a whole sense of discomfort yeah your home's supposed to be your safe haven or something just really unsettling about Absolutely. The stabbing had been so severe that the police found pieces of knives broken into their bones. At this point, the community was once again left to barricade their homes and live in fear that they too could be the next victim. Rhode Island began to label the killer the Borg Slasher. The slashings were so similar to the killings on the next road over that took place just two years earlier that the FBI was called in to profile a serial killer. The profiler found that this killer was someone who targeted young, single mothers, and they were each connected by the community they were in. They were quite literally in the same vicinity. Yeah. 
I'm not even kidding. They were adjacent from each other. So, like, are we talking the BAU level profilers? Because I love criminal minds. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's kind of like that. But it's not like they're like, the unsub must have gone Listen, I love criminal minds. But just, I, I know it's not exactly like you see on TV, but I just like the idea of psychological profilers, okay? I do too. They're interesting. Can you just let me live my fairy tale? <laughs> I can, because, uh, listen, I took a criminal psychology class. I liked it. I thought it was very interesting. I learned how to profile killers. It's kind of neat. Yeah. So you know what? Your obsession is very valid. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I, I enjoy it. If I could, like, look at stuff like that, I would totally enjoy it. But I faint at the sight of blood. That is why I could never do any of that. Yeah, I mean, God bless you if you do it. I always wanted to. It was my life goal, but I literally faint at the sight of blood. I don't, it's weird. I can deal with blood, but it depends. It's strange. The first time that I think I ever got uncomfortable with blood was when... Do you remember when I got bit by that cat at the pet store? No. I didn't tell you about that. Uh, this is so off topic, but you know what? I'm just going to say it anyway. The irony in this is that the cat's name was Michael. Uh-huh. They're not going to get that irony. <laughs> no, they're not going to, but people who know me that are really close to me will know the irony in that. So anyway, well... I pet this kid, or, well, it was like a year old, and he was bright, and his name was Michael. Okay, listen, the pet store can confirm this, all right? So, I was petting the cat, and I hadn't washed my hands beforehand, and I think I had, like, a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich or something like that, and he was nibbling on my finger. I'm like, okay, this is kind of for kids to do. He bit me so hard, Jess, that blood just started spewing everywhere. Oh my god. Yeah, and oh. I I could feel myself feel lightheaded and like as soon as I looked down at my finger and like the blood dripping, like I my vision started going blurry and I was like, oh f no. See, I am because I can watch people do my blood work and I'm okay with it. See, I'm so bad with blood that even hearing that story makes me a little lightheaded. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I can't with blood. And I wish I could, because my two biggest dreams as a child was to become either a surgeon or a CSI agent. <laughs> you know what I think is even worse is when you're getting your blood work done and the room is completely silent, but you can hear the blood like going through. Have you ever had that happen to you before? That doesn't bother me. I was actually because really? it really bothered me. I was actually super excited because with my medical issues that I was going through, I was in the hospital and I had to get an echocardiogram. You need something to entertain yourself with, right? <laughs> when well, you're in the hospital. Well, no. They, when they were doing the echocardiogram, I, they were, like, playing it back to make sure that they had the oh, audio yeah. well. So I could hear. You can do it with ultrasounds, too. Yeah. No, but I'm talking about, like, when you're sitting in the chair, getting your blood work done, and it's super quiet, and all of a sudden you hear... Like, have you heard an echocardiogram? Yes, because I had to have one done, remember? Isn't it so weird? It they, is the strangest thing. They're slosh. It doesn't sound like a oh, bee. It's a slosh. It was so cool. This is going to turn into like a medical podcast, but yeah, whatever. Who cares? Listen, <laughs> we have to break it up somehow. We would probably go actually insane That's if true. we didn't. I'm not trying to be like my favorite bird or anything, but this is going into my favorite bird territory. You mean like,
fucked up jokes all the time about stuff. You kind of have to, because yeah. if you don't, you're going to actually get depressed or actually face some kind of mental issues from reading this kind of stuff that you have to read to be able to yeah. present. You have to be like a certain person, I feel like, to do this kind of thing. Yeah. People think, oh, it's just serial killer stuff. Like, no, like, it's... You have to it's understand. different when you have a connection to it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and you have to understand, especially on Kate's side, since she goes through and does all of the research, because, let's face it, I don't have the mental capacity for that half We're the time. We're both in-house, too. So yeah, it's seriously. <laughs> it's something that... There's a lot of stuff that we don't share in the podcasts because of how dark it can get. Yeah. And because we see those things, it is very difficult to read even this sometimes. Yeah. So we have to be able to make jokes in between just to kind of cope. So Yeah, it's a coping mechanism. Yeah. Maybe not the best. So you'll get used to it. If you're new, you'll definitely get used to it. If you've been with us, you know we do this. You, you know we're a little f- A little bit. <laughs> so, the FBI defines a serial killer as someone who commits at least three murders over more than a month with an emotional cooling off period in between. And it's kind of interesting in a way. That the definition has changed quite a bit over time. And I think of the situation, for the police, it didn't appear to be a serial killer at first. Because I think if you're like a lot of other people, you look at serial killings like a person going on a murder spree until the person's caught. And the cooling off period is shorter in duration than what this killer did. The person had only targeted two homes, so I think that also made it look like it was kind of unrelated at first. Um, however, if it had not been for the quick thing of one police officer, may have been many desperate to find the killer and because of how heinous these crimes were, a profiling expert suggested that they begin stopping people to check their hands. Greg McCrary, who would later be key in passing legislation regarding this case, figured that given how severe the stab wounds were, the perpetrator at least had to have some sort of abrasions on his hands. They were not prepared, however, for the bombshell that was about to go off when their search led them to a 15-year-old high school freshman named Craig Price. So, the police had become suspicious of Craig Price after he lied about a deep gash that they found on his finger. The police officer that was the profiler, they knew from the crime scene that the killer had cut himself. A bloody sock print was eventually found to match Price's size 13 feet. Let me just say, if I remember correctly, this kid was like 6'3", 280 pounds. He's a big dude. That's kind of... That's intimidating for a 15-year-old. Yeah, let's be honest. If if you're six three, that's scary. That's yeah. They also found the knives he used to kill his victims in his backyard shed. When the police took Craig Price to the department to be questioned, he didn't even hesitate to confess to what he did. Accompanied by his mother, who was understandably a rack and falling her eyes out, she listened as her son told her and the authorities what he had done. Not only did he confess to killing the Eaton family, but he also confessed to killing Rebecca when he was just 13 years old. So we're going to link the clip of the confession tapes on our Facebook page because it's too graphic to be shared on here. So if you want to listen to it, you can. If not, that's understandable. Yeah, and seriously, listen at your own risk. As we've said, some of these things can be incredibly disturbing. Um, we're sharing this, so it's not as disturbing as some other things that we could share. Yeah. 
but definitely at your own risk. Yeah, basically, just to give a summary, he describes how he killed his victims, and as time went on, it came out that racism could have been a motivator in these killings. And once again, let's just reiterate, it is an explanation, it is not an excuse whatsoever. There's no reason to kill someone. Absolutely not. Unless it's self-defense, and in this case it was not. Um, but, you know, everybody was so shocked because he was just like, star football player, an Iron Man, and all these kinds of things. But in that same article that just mentioned earlier by Mr. Arsenal, Craig discussed with the journalist about how his first major encounter with the Eatons involved a perceived instance of racism. So allegedly, quote, he saw Heaton and her daughters Jennifer and Melissa on bicycles. Price knew of the Heatons the way neighbors know of neighbors without really knowing them. We all have those kinds of one of the heat and girls had slipped her bicycle chain. Price offered to fix it. He says he sensed a bad vibe from Joan Heaton while he reset the chain, as if she had expected him to steal the bike or something. The girls were giggling over some childish slang from feces, repeating it several times. Price wondered, are they referring to me? Why? Because I'm black? Now, I think in the 80s there was still some sort of discrimination, so I mean, it could be true. Yeah, it wasn't that long after segregation had begun ending. Yeah, because so. wasn't it in the 60s that it finally ended, or was it the 70s? I believe it was around 65. Correct me if I'm wrong, honestly. I am super tired, so I am not fully remembering. Also, I apologize if you can hear my cat. She's being a little brat over there trying to chew a box. I, I cannot stop her. I was trying to ignore it, but you know what? Let, let, let's see. Say hi, Ellie. Let's make a feature cameo in our podcast. No, she's just going to eat her box. But yeah, so I think it was around 65. Jessica, that did not sound right. I'm just letting you know. That's okay. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah I think it was 65 when Luther, Martin Luther King Jr. got shot. But I could be wrong. And please correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. So it was around that time period. I know it was after he passed. Yeah. So it, it was not that long after. Yeah, it was still very much, I think, a thing. Um. In another interview, he claimed that his first ever encounter with racism involved a white person attempting to run him over with their car. Craig was arrested a month before his 16th birthday. So many people who knew him did not want to believe that this was a killer they were close to. Like I said, he was a star football player, and he was generally kind to his peers. He gave no indication that he had this much pent-up rage. He really had only been arrested for, like, petty and I mean theft isn't great either, but I mean he wasn't getting arrested for like super violent crime. Not that that thieving can't get, but that's what he called it. Not that thieving can't get violent, but it was little minor stupid things. You know, he wasn't like this kind of person that was going out and beating the crap out of people. And at the time, Rhode Island's court system was incredibly flawed when it came to sentencing of violent juveniles. Which is interesting, considering the court system in Rhode Island is so much, it's different now. Like, the irony in this is so strange to me. Because, like, family court, for example, they're very fair. Whereas before, just like in this situation, it's a little screwed up, you know. Um, But Craig was tried and convicted as a minor. Because, as I said, the system was flawed when it came to sentencing of violent juveniles. By law... Him being convicted as a minor meant that he would be released and his criminal records would be sealed as soon as he turned 21. 
and Craig knew this. I mean, he was cool with it, too. He would brag that he would make history when he was released. And it's also important to know that forensic psychologists have deemed Craig unfit for parole or any kind of rehabilitation. So because of these factors, the public called for a change in Rhode Island's justice system. Eventually, legislation passed that allowed for juveniles to be tried as adults in serious crimes. Unfortunately, because of the double jeopardy principle that we have in U.S. cases, this could not be applied to Craig's case. It's not like in Italy with Amanda Knox. Remember that? She was like, put in jail, or convicted like three times. It's not like that here. Yeah, no. Um, so they could not apply to Craig's case. So as a result, investigators who are part of this case and citizens all over the state of Rhode Island, they formed the group Citizens Opposed to the Release of Craig Price. I just want to put this out there. We are talking about somebody who in the United States is considered a minority because of the color of their skin. And, you know, I don't think we are blind to the fact that, yes, sometimes minority, a lot of times in the justice system, minorities are discriminated oh yeah absolutely and that's yeah. not something that we're blind to but clearly yeah if you look at how he killed these people if you look at the amount of overkill yeah. clearly this individual had insane amounts of mental health issue insane amounts of aggression and i don't care about the color of his skin I, it's completely, I don't care what the race was, they did not belong on the streets. Yeah, even if he stabbed them one time, like, I'm sorry, but the color of your skin does not justify you committing a crime like this. It's oh yeah. Awful. I work in an apartment where we deal with youth that are in the juvenile justice system, not in Rhode Island, but I can tell you that there are kids, and you can tell that they are kids that made genuine mistakes, and they can get better, and yeah. they do better. People like this don't get better. No, this is insane amounts of overkill. This is somebody who was proud. Uh, yeah, and I'm almost positive that one of the forensic psychiatrists deemed him a psychopath. I'm almost positive. I could be wrong on that. It would but not surprise from me. From what I read, it seemed like that's what they did. And, and I can understand feeling like you might be being discriminated against and feeling angered by that. It doesn't justify being violent. No, it does not justify killing somebody. Right, that's awful. By any means. If you are not being attacked, you do not need to kill somebody. No, absolutely not. Even if, if you're, you're being threatened to be killed, I can see yourself defending yourself. You're posing a, someone's posing a threat to you, I get it. But if it's just a simple, you know, it's being like a racist piece of trash, I'm just one of those people, I guess I would pop off on them and then walk away. I mean, you can't 100% say, like, what a person should do. Yeah, absolutely not. You shouldn't be killing them. I mean, that's ridiculous to me. Yeah, and they weren't trying to physically harm him. Right. Like, like if they were being racist... Yeah, if they were being racist, shame on them. Right. They were absolutely in the wrong if they were being racist Yeah, and their mother should have taught them better, but that doesn't justify her being killed. Absolutely not. So Jeffrey Pine, who ended up becoming the elected attorney general in 1992, he was an assistant attorney general at the time of this crime, he pushed for legislation to allow judges to consider criminal records in deciding whether someone should be committed to a psychiatric facility. He went actually down to Virginia, up to Monaco, and he stuck on the advice and direction of Greg McCrary, who we talked about earlier. 
who is a criminal psychologist and former FBI agent. McCrary has been an expert witness in multiple trials and profiled hundreds of murderers in his career. I'll actually link his website because it's quite interesting. He actually has some of his publications on there that you can link, or that are linked there that you can look up. Um, but out of all those people, it was not common for him to encounter anyone as violent as Craig Price, especially a killer child. You don't hear about killer child. No, a lot of the times, if a child is that violent, it stems either from in immense levels of trauma in the home. Yeah, or they're just mentally ill. Yeah, or they can be mentally ill. Something especially in this kind of case, especially with the level of violence, like having a form of being a psychopath or a sociopath, some form of antisocial disorder, because right. technically... I don't believe they call it being a sociopath or a psychopath anymore. I believe that they've actually said those terms are not actually correct. I believe that they've stuck with antisocial disorder now. No, they actually still use those. Um, although it's not, a lot of times now they're like, well, it's politically incorrect. Like, yeah, I, that's I don't what necessarily I mean. think it's politically incorrect. But the thing is, is that there are times where it's psychopathy and sociopathy kind of overlap they're very similar exactly um the thing with this though that i think a lot of people didn't understand was craig grew up in a middle class family and he he came from a good home you know it's not like a lot of times where you see with minorities where it's an economic disadvantage like there's socioeconomic problems it wasn't like that and i think that's why people were so just actually told Attorney General Pine that less than 1% of killers are that frenzied, and so far society has found no way to treat them. And we're talking about psychopaths here. Attorney McCray actually was brought to the scene of the murders Craig committed and was the reason the police began looking for cuts on people's hands. Pretty incredible. He's good at what he does. Absolutely. McCrary shared his findings for the sake of this bill being passed, and in this report, McCrary described Christ as, quote, a human predator who showed no empathy or remorse and was highly likely to kill again, end quote. Keep this in mind, because there's another thing that we will be discussing, and that's his present time. So even he was agreeing with the state psychologist that this guy was a total monster. And Craig Price really was his own worst enemy, and his behavior swayed the court even more to seal his fate. He began to refuse a court order to undergo further psychological testing on the advice of his attorney. Shame on you, whoever this attorney was. They felt the results would be used to commit him for life. His refusals allowed Attorney Pine's office to file contempt of court charges in 1994. Craig screwed himself over even further when he went into a rage and threatened to kill a correctional officer. Oh my god. Yeah, good job! Attorney Pine used this opportunity to file extortion charges. Good for him. In October 1994, just days before Price's 21st birthday, Craig went before the judge with a new attorney, civil rights advocate Robert Mann. In court, Attorney Mann accused the Attorney General's office of altering the laws to what they saw fit in an attempt to selectively prosecute his client. This is what I meant when we are talking about, like, the whole issue of racism and racial profiling. And I fully agree that there are issues of that inside of our prison communities. Of course. But in this case, look at the crime. It would not matter the color of his skin if you look at the number of times he stabbed these people. 
and the lack of empathy. He clearly, like, our prisons need help. They need reform because prisons should be about rehabilitating. It should be about... Depending on the person. Yes, but even violent offenders, even murderers, there should be some form of psychological help that they do not get. Oh, I agree, but I think there are some people, though, you just can't help. And this is a prime example. Oh, absolutely. But to just throw them in a cage and just say you're useless... I don't know. I think you're pretty useless when you go and take a life of another person. Unless it's self-defense. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but there are some people who get brought into a life like that because of reasons other than just being somebody who lacks empathy. Like, if you're a psychopath, you lack empathy. And there are people who are psychopaths or sociopaths that do actually lead functioning lives. That's the part that's scary, though. Think of Ted Bundy. Well, yes, but I'm talking ones that lead functioning lives and do not harm anybody. Oh, yeah. Why? Like, it's nothing against anybody with that disorder that is genuinely living a life as best as they can and trying to adapt as best as they can but there are people who genuinely try but maybe they messed up i feel like it's more so the sociopaths if if anything if you know taking what you said because i don't necessarily 100 agree with it but like just say for face value we're saying there's people that are trying to live functional some are trying to live functional I think it's more the sociopaths because you know how they said in our psych books where it was like sociopaths tend to once in a while show remorse for what they do. Well, the thing is with sociopaths and the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath for people that don't know. Yes, a psychopath is basically born that way. They are unable to feel emotions or empathy. Like they just, there's no helping them. Yeah, they. They don't know how to feel emotions. They do not have the chemicals in their brain that work to create things that make them feel happy, that make them feel sad, that make them feel fear. They can't feel it. And that's just how they were born. That is how their brains work. If you are a sociopath, trauma made them that way. Right. And either way, it's not their fault. The, the, The reasoning that they get sick, it's not their fault. But how they choose to act upon it is Yes. Which is why I say that there are people that do live functional lives, that do have these conditions. There are people that never commit crimes with these conditions. And they're able to learn to fake emotions, mimic emotions. There are some that never try to fake or mimic emotions. People just think they're cold or weird, and that's wrong. They shouldn't be stigmatized. Well, I think a lot of times, too, with sociopathy and psychopathy, it comes with just having no regard for human life most of them are like that but one prime example i think of something like this would be like do you remember when we did michael ross right yes he when he was treated he was treated with depo and lupron both of which suck ass by the way but he was treated with lupron thank god and depo and he was basically chemically castrated and that helped the lesions on his brain that could have possibly been making him a sexual sadist. And he started to feel sorry for himself. And do I believe that maybe some of it was an act? Yes. But I think there was also a part of him that was genuinely, like, disgusted by what he did. Yes. So in that case, I think you can be rehabilitated to an extent yes. if you're on medication. But somebody like this, absolutely freaking not. 
Yeah, I don't think there's any full rehabilitation for him. I just think that there's also the sense that, like, I don't think he deserves to be given... There are levels of treatment people should receive. I think he absolutely should be in a high-level facility where he is treated absolutely like a criminal. Yes. I just also think that we need some kind of reform to make our system a little bit better because he does... Yeah, he yeah. does deserve some form of treatment because clearly he has something. I think they owe it to the victims to treat him, not necessarily him. Yeah, exactly. But they owe it to the victims. That's kind of how I feel about it. But Price sealed his own fate because he was found guilty by a jury. When he was given the opportunity to speak, he delivered a belligerent, rambling speech about how he was being prosecuted because of his race. Once again, this is what I mean by pulling a race card. And of course, the judge saw right through this, and Craig was ultimately sentenced to 15 years, seven to serve, and eight suspended, which is a bunch of bull. But he spent his 21st birthday in the adult correctional institution. Thank God. The hard work of these professionals paid off, because in 2004, the Craig Price bill was passed. During his incarceration, Price has been charged with a number of additional crimes, which is why I feel, like I said, that there's no change in this kid. Because his crimes include criminal contempt for refusing a psych eval, which we talked about earlier, the extortion for threatening of a correctional officer, assault, and violation of probation for fights while in prison. According to the Rhode Island Department of Correction, Craig has been in multiple fights in the Cranston prison that he had been housed in. And because of this, Craig was denied parole in March 2009, and his release date was actually set for May of this year. Assistant Attorney General Patrick Youngs, who has handled Price's case for the last 25 years, worked with a judge to have him shipped off to Florida in 2004 due to his violent behavior. He was transferred from Rhode Island to Suwannee Correctional Institution in Florida to serve his time. Because of this, Craig was denied parole in March 2009. His release date was going to be set for May of this year, but he made matters worse for himself. In Florida, on July 29, 2009, Craig was involved in a prison fight with another inmate. While trying to break up the fight, one of the correctional officers was stabbed in the finger by a handmade shank in Price's possession. So, of course, the prison time was added. Then, in 2017, it gets better. He tried to kill an inmate in Florida named Joshua Davis with a five-inch makeshift knife. Clearly, he has not changed. So he was sentenced in 2019 to 10 to 21 years in prison, one year before he was set to be released. Unlike Rhode Island, Florida does not have the option for prisoners to be released on parole. They are to serve at least 85% of their sentence, which means that Price could be behind bars for at least another 21 years. Definitely deserved. Mm -hmm. And he is in his 40s now. And this is what I mean by, like, I mean, you're 40 years old. And you are refusing to do something to fix yourself. And that's why I just think he's a he's, he's a pure cold psychopath. And it's disgusting, honestly. I think that you know, I think the problem started when the Warwick police didn't take that call seriously. Absolutely. They should have absolutely taken it seriously. And if they had found him before he had killed anyone, or even after he killed Rebecca. They could have gotten him help before he would have become older. Because at that age, your brain is still in crucial development. Yeah, so there was a chance. A little bit. Yeah, you can, when you bring a child into cognitive therapy, you can kind of, in a way, I don't want to use the word psychologically manipulate, like use that term, but you can kind of help them a little bit. 
Yes. Like, you know. Because the brain is developing typically up until age 24. But given if he's a psychopath, they might not have been able to. Potentially not, but at the same time, they could have done some type of empathy training. Some There are certain ways they could have helped, or they could at least have known to put him in a facility where they could have just had him there so he could have lived a life where he wasn't behind bars. He still had not full freedom because unfortunately he would have been in a facility still. But he still would have been able to have some type of normalcy. He would have been able to do a little bit more than he can in prison. Right, he could have had like a routine and things of that sort. I mean, that's what they do anyway in psychological facilities or psychiatric facilities when they decide they give you a routine, you have to go for activities, therapy, things like that. Maybe it could have helped him, maybe not. But like I said, I think it just all started with not taking that call seriously. Absolutely. And I think that's half the problem with a lot of cases nowadays is if the police don't take these things seriously, how are you supposed to fix them? Oh yeah, and a peeping Tom, people... It's and people do it all the time, I get it, but... It's definitely not Multiple times, seriously. that's not cool. And you could have also looked at it that way as like, well, maybe he was canvassing the house to see where he could break in. You gotta think about it that way, too. Oh, yeah. Not just the, well, I just want to be part of it and look at this, you know, look at this chick's body or whatever. Like, it's different. I don't, I don't know. Oh, yeah, it could be Peeping Tom, it could be Stalker, it could be Casing a House... There are so many different possibilities that have to be taken seriously. And, you know, thankfully, in this situation, better police officers came in. Absolutely. You know, and that's a good thing. I'm glad. If only they had come in sooner, because it could have spared quite a few innocent lives. Yeah, exactly. But there's nothing really that, well, unfortunately, the best, like you said, the best place that you could is jail. Mm -hmm. And that's unfortunately where he belongs. Mm